Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of programs on the book of Hebrews, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. Now, in the previous broadcast, I was speaking about Hebrews chapter 10 and the importance of understanding forgiveness. Now, the main reason why we must recognize that the sin issue between us and our God is over is, of course, because you cannot be saved. And the reason why I say that is because of the way that I understand salvation. The way that I understand salvation, what I understand about the gospel, is that salvation has to do with the restoration of the Holy Spirit that had been lost in Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve were created, they were created in such a way that they had the spirit of life, the very life of God, known as the Holy Spirit, indwelling within them, that that life was breathed within them and they became a living being. And then in accordance with the law of sin and death, when the Lord said, in the day that you eat from the wrong tree, effectively, in the day that you sin, in that day you will die, which to me means that in that day the Spirit of God would depart from within them that the absence of the life of God would be their death. And then the physical death was a secondary reaction, a byproduct, or I believe more correctly would be an act of mercy of God on behalf of humanity because this is certainly not heaven anymore. And so because of that, we need a means of being able to get out of it, getting out of this world, get out of this life that we have so that we can have an opportunity to actually go to heaven and be there for all eternity because this, of course, is not heaven anymore. So it's necessary for the complete forgiveness of sins because once the life of God is restored to us, the sin issue has to be completely resolved because if it's not resolved, then there would be a sin that would cause the Holy Spirit to depart from within us again in accordance with the law of sin and death. And if that's true, then the only opportunity that you would have for salvation would be the one time that you believed, but you'd lose that the next time you sinned and so you would then definitely go to hell. That's not really much of salvation or much of a salvation. And so I believe the complete forgiveness of sins is necessary in order to ensure that there is no sin left unforgiven that will cause the Holy Spirit to depart from within you. But that is why this subject is so important to me. First of all, because you cannot be saved without all of your sin being completely dealt with. The other reason why it is important to recognize the complete forgiveness of sins is what is mainly expressed here in the book of Hebrews, and that is that the Hebrews needed to separate themselves from the Mosaic law. They needed to separate themselves from the temple, from the priesthood, from the high priest. They needed to remove themselves entirely from the old covenant in order to begin walking in the new covenant that the Lord our God has established for us. And the complete forgiveness of sins is the key that unlocks that door so that people can walk through and enter into the newness of life that is now before us in Christ Jesus. 
So I believe that the complete forgiveness of sins is also necessary to understand. Otherwise, it is not going to be very easy, in fact, I believe it's virtually impossible, for a person to let go of the law in their life. And I think that is absolutely necessary because until you let go of the law, well, let me say it differently, if you hang on to the law, if you continue to live a life of repentance and obedience in order to try and obtain or sustain your right standing with your God, then you've just condemned yourself to a life of complete absolute failure because you will never repent enough, you will never be obedient enough. And so if you continue to live in that life, if you continue to live in that way of life of just simply continually trying to avoid sin and continue to live in terms of righteousness and holiness, then you're trying to live a life that you cannot possibly live, which is, of course, a very depressing experience, to say the least. But the most important thing relevant to that is that you will never be accepted by your God. You will never be close to your God. You can never truly be loved by your God except when it comes to perpetual experience of trying to obtain forgiveness, then if you believe that, then you may believe that that is the way that he loves you. But I personally believe that what he means by loving you has to do with not keeping any records of your wrongs to begin with, and that he is perpetually patient with you, he is kind, he is gentle in the midst of your sinfulness, and that it's necessary for him to do that because you're never going to be able to get all of the sin out of your life again. And so in order to walk in the newness of life according to the new covenant, which I believe is totally different from this life of repentance and obedience, in order to do that, you must first acknowledge and understand that you have been completely forgiven. So when the writer is writing his letter to the Hebrews, he speaks about Jesus being greater than the angels and greater than Moses and greater than Abraham, greater than the high priest, that he is greater than all, greater than the Levitical priesthood. But he's now getting to the point that the complete forgiveness of sins is really necessary in order to move forward beyond just recognizing that Jesus is who he says he is and that there is a maturity that they failed to enter into, which is described in Hebrews chapter 6, that there is a new covenant, as he described in chapter 8. But in order to truly enter into it, according to Hebrews chapter 10, you must first recognize that the sin issue between you and your God is completely over. And then when you get into Hebrews chapter 11, he speaks about the faith that people had before, that they trusted and they believed in what God had said before. And so we should also trust and believe in what he has said now, and that we should live in accordance with the testimony of the Lord Jesus and the apostles who have spoken about the new covenant that is now in effect. So that's what I believe the writer is intending to do, he is intending to go through. And Hebrews chapter 10 is a very powerful chapter when it comes to this subject of forgiveness. For example, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, he wrote, By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And you would think, once for all, that people would read this and acknowledge that they have been fully sanctified. In addition, in verse 14, it says, For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And I do realize that there are some translations that say those who are being sanctified. And I don't think that that is an accurate translation. I do believe that the accurate translation is that, again, you are sanctified. And so if you're not going to believe it from verse 10, then you have another opportunity in verse 14. And that the sanctification you have is on the basis of his one offering, 
not on the basis of you becoming more perfect in your flesh or more obedient in your life or being able to apply some more disciplines of holiness in your life. It has nothing to do with that. It is only because of his one sacrifice for sins for all time. That's in verse 12. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. In verse 14, one offering, that that is it. There is no other means to obtain forgiveness. It's so important to understand this. And I realize that I have been repeating this quite a bit in the last couple of programs. But please understand that the vast majority of people who are in Christianity today do not really believe this. They don't really believe that they have been completely forgiven. Now, I realize that if you ask somebody, if you ask a Christian today, if you ask them, do you believe you are completely forgiven? They will say, yes, that's not what I'm referring to. What I'm referring to is the fact that there are so many other things that they believe that shows that they don't really believe it. They believe things like, I can obtain my forgiveness if I ask him to forgive me, or I can obtain my forgiveness if I confess my sins. And I do realize that 1 John 1, nine is used in that context, and I realize that there's an issue concerning the Lord's Prayer. There, there are a number of passages that people believe in this context. I believe those passages as well. It's not that I don't believe the Scriptures. It's just that people interpret them in a way that I believe is totally wrong. I, I do. I believe that it is contrary to everything else that is in the scriptures and that people have built an entire religion surrounding these things to the extent where they practically ignore verses like this and the importance of what is being conveyed by them. Now, I have done a series on forgiveness. I've done three hours on the subject of forgiveness. You can download that for free on my website archive, or you can contact me for audio CDs if you would like. I'd like to defer you to those programs where I've addressed these scripture passages that most people address when it comes to the subject of forgiveness. I have, I have spoken about that, and so I'm not going to do that here. What I want to express here is the importance of recognizing that the writer has to address this, otherwise the people will never ever be set free from the law. And just as the Hebrews were struggling to be set free from the Mosaic law, so also people in Christianity today are also struggling to be set free from their denominational law, from their church law, from their own way of life, their own pharisaical Judaism in its own respect, their own way of trying to be holy, that they need to be set free from that also and recognize that they are holy, that they are perfect, that they are sanctified because of what Christ Jesus has done for them so that they can now move on in the new life in Christ Jesus that has been presented before them. And that's the other reason why I believe the subject of forgiveness is so important, because if you don't recognize that the sin issue between you and God is over, if you don't really believe that, then there's no way to truly be accepted by your God, to be loved by your God. There's no way to really be at rest in your heart with Him to the extent where you can be at peace with Him, to the extent where you can listen to Him, where you can hear from Him, where He can guide you and lead you, because there are so many things 
There are so many things that we need to understand that he wants us to understand, to see the world through his eyes, to understand what you hear through his ears. All of this requires you to have a complete understanding of forgiveness. I sincerely believe this, and without it, there's not a whole lot he can tell you, because if you don't understand the milk, you cannot get into the meat. You must grow in an understanding of this subject first. Now, in Hebrews chapter 10, in verse 25, 26, there there are a number of passages here that people use in order to abuse other people with, and that's what I'm going to get into right now. Let me start out first, though, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 15. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 15, it is written, And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us. For after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart and on their mind. I will write them. He then says, And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now, in verse 16, when he speaks about putting his laws on our hearts and on our minds, I explained this earlier in chapter 8, where I believe he is speaking about the change of heart and the change of mind. He certainly is not going to get out a tattoo machine and tattoo the Ten Commandments on our heart, and he's not going to chisel into our brain in order to write the Ten Commandments on our mind, or any other commandments for that matter. There's 613 if you keep reading. That's not what he says. I believe he's referring to a change of heart and a change of mind, and that this will be possible because of what he says in verse 17. Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. He can change our hearts if he doesn't hold our sins against us. And this is why. You see, the the needs of your heart is not really a need to sin, as much as sometimes we may think that's the case. The needs of your heart are needs such as you need somebody to want you. You need somebody to like you. You need somebody to care about you. You need to have some sense of meaning in your life. You need to have some purpose in your life. You need to have an understanding of the world that you are a part of. Those are the needs that you have in your heart. The sins that we commit are the temptations in life that we are confronted with that lead us to believe that the needs that we have will be met through the commission of sins, which, of course, is not true. It never happens. It's a deception. But we believe that, and so we commit sin. The needs of our heart will only be met by our God. He has created us in such a way that only He can do that. He has not created anything or anybody else to meet the needs of your heart. That's not going to happen. He has reserved that for himself. He's not going to share that with anybody else or anything else. That's between you and him, he and I. There is no way, there is no way that the needs of your heart are going to be met outside of your relationship with your God. But if you don't believe that the sin issue between you and your God is over, then you will never draw near to him to receive what he has for you. You will not receive truly what he has for you. He will therefore not meet the needs of your heart, not because of him, but because of you, because you don't believe, because you don't believe. So you must believe this. Otherwise, he cannot change your heart. He cannot change your mind. That's what the new covenant is. That's what it's about. This is a quote from Hebrews chapter 8, which is a quote from Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. 
And in verse 34, that's Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 34, he explains that he is able to invoke, institute the new covenant because he no longer holds our sins against us. Again, if he does hold our sins against us, then you cannot experience the new covenant. And so, yes, it is true that while there may be a huge number of people who identify themselves as Christians, and they probably, quite likely, are saved. I won't argue that. I believe it. I believe that the vast majority of Christians who identify themselves as Christians, I believe they're probably saved. However, they cannot possibly live in the new covenant or experience the new covenant for what it is or begin to actually know their God because... They have not put to rest the subject of sin and forgiveness. That's a serious problem that people must overcome. Otherwise, you're not going to get anywhere. All you can do is wait until you die to go to heaven and then maybe start then, which is fine. I understand that. But I think that there's a lot more to life right now besides just sitting around waiting to go to heaven. Now, continuing in verse 18, it is written, Now, where there is forgiveness of these things... There is no longer any offering for sin. Now, don't underestimate the seriousness of what the writer has just said here in verse 18. This is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 18. I'm going to read it again. Now, where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Now, my friend, if there is no offering for sin... There is no offering for sin. And you might be thinking, fine, I won't set my pets on fire. I won't present any bulls or goats or lambs or doves or anything like that. That's not what he's referring to. I mean, certainly he's referring to that to the Hebrews in context with the temple, the tabernacle, the things that were taking place there. Of course, that's true. But the offering for sin also applies today where people are offering sacrifice of praise and they're offering sacrifice from their checkbook and they're offering sacrifice of apology. They're doing all kinds of other things to deal with their sin and there is no longer any offering of any kind whatsoever in order to deal with sin. And so if there is anyone, anyone whatsoever who you encounter in your life who gives you the impression that there is still a means of either giving an offering for sin or obtaining forgiveness for sin. If you find anyone, if you discover anyone, if you hear anyone saying anything that remotely sounds like this, at best what you have is an immature baby in Christ who does not really know the new covenant and certainly has never experienced a life in it. They may very well be saved, But this is definitely not someone who's going to be able to encourage you in any way whatsoever to mature in your relationship in Christ Jesus. On the other hand, virtually everything that they are going to tell you, which is going to be based on that, is going to put you into more bondage to prevent you from walking in and experiencing the reality of the new covenant. And so if you are associated with somebody like that, you acknowledge that that is who you're dealing with. And take that into consideration when you think about how much time you're going to spend listening to this individual, what you're going to do. Because if you're going to provide resources for this person, if you're going to provide yourself for this person, you better be aware of what you're doing and how much time you're wasting 
or what could even be worse is how much time you are using and how much of your resources you are using in order to help perpetuate this doctrine so that other people end up in further bondage. Do not endorse this. Do not endorse this in any way whatsoever and do not support this because it puts people in a lot of bondage and I know how powerful it is because I deal with people every single day on this subject and people get set free when they believe the truth and they remain in bondage when they don't. It's as simple as that. Continuing in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now, there are a number of idiomatic expressions here referring to pure water that we are washed with, being cleansed from an evil conscience. All of this has to do with the fact that we have a high priest, that he is there in the presence of our God. We have access, but certainly not physically. We have access in the sense that we are identified with the Lord Jesus who is there in order to speak on our behalf as an advocate in the event that any sin comes to the surface or is brought up or somebody accuses us of, anything like that. That he is our priest, he is in the house of God, and that we have access through him in the sense of what he has already accomplished. And we need to hold fast to this confession, to this belief, without wavering whatsoever. So that, verse 24, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Well, we are not going to stimulate each other. We're not going to do anything like that. We are not going to be the origin within each other. The version is a little misleading in that sense. I believe what this is conveying is that we should encourage one another to love and to do good deeds. But the fact of the matter is that the only way that love is going to be expressed or good deeds are going to be expressed, the only way that that is going to be real is when we are loved by our God and he fulfills the deepest needs of our heart. But you know what? When this happens, when this happens, when we engage the world on a daily basis, when we interact with the people that we see in the world throughout our lives, when this happens, there are going to be many opportunities for us to love others with the love that we have been given. And there will be many opportunities to do things that will be classified as good deeds. But you know what? There's no need to encourage people to actually do that in the sense of you must be encouraged, otherwise you won't. I believe that this is expressed differently in the sense that the Lord will work within your heart to direct you in this way. And we can encourage each other to not resist the Holy Spirit working in our lives when he does so. To encourage one another in that sense. To let each other know, hey, you know what? The Lord is going to do a work in your life. And when this happens, let him do it. It's okay to love somebody when they're being cruel to you. It's okay to do something good for someone when they're mean to you or otherwise. It's okay to do that when the Lord does that in your heart. When you see him do a work in your being, changing your heart, changing your mind, encourage one another to say it's okay to let him do that and to respond accordingly. I personally believe that that's precisely 
what he is saying in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Continuing into verse 25, it is written, Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. What is this sin that you can willfully commit after receiving the knowledge of the truth? Well, what's he talking about here? He's talking about the subject of forgiveness. If he's talking about the subject of forgiveness, then what sin could you possibly be committing? What sin could you commit that has not been forgiven? Well, technically, there really is no sin, except, of course, the refusal to receive the forgiveness and to walk in and live in, to believe in the forgiveness that you already have. That's a sin that he can't forgive in that abstract sense. Now, I do believe that a person can still be saved. What he's saying here is that if you do not believe in the complete forgiveness of sins, then, of course, chances are you may have an issue concerning your salvation. And if he's writing to the Hebrews, not so much writing to the people that I was referring to today in today's context, if he's writing to the Hebrews back in the time of the Lord Jesus, Certainly, many of them would believe that Jesus was the Messiah because of the miracles that he performed, because of his resurrection, things like that. But that wasn't all there was to that particular package. What was also important was that they believed that he died for their sins and he offered to them the Holy Spirit so that they could be resurrected also. And with the complete forgiveness of sins, they would never lose the Holy Spirit. They would be permanently saved. That was what they were dealing with. And so for the writer to say this to the Hebrews at that time... I believe that this is what he's saying, that that he's conveying the knowledge of the truth. And the truth is that the sin issue between them and their God is over. And if they receive that message, but they willfully reject that message, then according to verse 26, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. In other words, if they're not going to believe in the complete forgiveness of sins that has been executed on their behalf by the Lord Jesus, if they're not going to believe that, then there is no other way for them to obtain forgiveness for their sins. And if sin is as serious as it is, if it really is evil, then all you have to look forward to is verse 27. But a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. That's all that you have to look forward to. You have nothing else to look forward to but the terrifying expectation of judgment. Because if you don't believe that he's already forgiven you for your sins, and you're going to have to find some way to deal with your sins, but there is no way to deal with your sins outside of what Jesus did. And so all that you have left is the expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries of God, which is you. That's what you have to look forward to. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383, 
1-800-273-8253, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.